Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Matt Nidoba. Hi, Matt. Hi. So I have, I was trying to think of like how to introduce people to your personality, and I can't remember. Are you a fan of the Lost meme? No, I I don't really get it, honestly. <laughs> I feel like such a, like an adult saying that, but I just don't understand what these kids are doing these days. So yeah, Lost is not for me. Okay, that's perfect, because I'm, I'm in the same camp of don't understand the Lost meme, but I think if anyone does, that describes your personality as a fan of, I guess, don't like it or don't understand. Yeah, definitely like a just generally confused, I think. Like, I just <laughs> see the glee that people get okay, from great. that meme, and I just, I don't get it. But, to each their own. <laughs> to anyone else who doesn't understand it. There's four squares and some lines. That's really all there is. So... Matt, what's your mystery book or mystery show, any kind of whodunit experience? I mean, I've read a couple murder mysteries in my time. I've watched like Sherlock, <laughs> but really, I'm not really a murder mystery kind of person. So we'll see how well I do. I forgot about the Sherlock TV show. I never finished it. I should do that. They're, the episodes are real commitments. Like they're good, but like you have to essentially watch yes. a movie every time. That I think was my problem is just it was so I'm a I'm more of like a 30 minute TV show kind of gal. Mm. So even hour long ones are long. So yeah, the Sherlock is <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So today we are doing a new new author, new book. It's her name is Dorothy L. Sayers or Sawyers. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. And she is like a contemporary to Agatha Christie. So she started writing around the same time. Her first book was published in 1923. Whereas I think Agatha Christie was 1920, but I'm going to double check. Cool, cool. Pretty modern. <laughs> yeah, super recent. Yeah. You're going to be able to relate so much. Mm -hmm. 1921 is Agatha okay. Christie's first. So pretty, they're pretty close to each other. So... From from reading, I've only read the one book. I read Whose Body, which is the one we're doing today, and it's the first in her uh, like mystery series. She wrote other things like poems and plays, uh, but her mystery series starts with her like first detective, who is called Lord Peter Whimsy, and so he's like part of the I guess he like gentry is maybe what they called it or gentry like you, I don't know like dukes and duchesses. Oh, okay, like so he's, he's a little the... bit posh, a little bit like upper class sort of. Yeah, exactly. this is like English, I assume. Yeah, she's she's British, and the, okay. it's set in like London and other parts of England. So, just the style of writing is—I feel like Agatha Christie's really easy to read. It's not super—I don't—I don't know exactly what to call it. It's easy to read, whereas Dorothy Sayers was very convoluted, and I might just be like the time period, and so maybe everyone was writing like that, but much more kind of slang. It's just, it was harder to understand what's happening. So sometimes I read it through. And then when I came back to read the second time, was then, then things clicked with me, which was where mm. it was like, oh, okay, that's what's happening. Okay. So I guess you're going to have to do all the, the translating with the slang. Exactly. So I, I basically cut it all out or changed it. So you won't hear any of Beautiful. that part. But if you want to go read one of her books. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check understand. it out. <laughs> and then the other thing is, so I've done uh, mostly with Christie's. I did a um, Louise Penny on the podcast a couple weeks ago, which was mm -hmm. the first like new author. Both of those styles were very whodunit with lots of red herrings and things like that. Mm -hmm. Dorothy Sayers' style seems to be a little bit different. So it's more how I found it's more like the first half of the book is like the mystery. And then the second half is the solution. So there's a lot mm -hmm. more of 
like you know who it is near the end but so what i've tried to do is cut all that parts out so that it's you can still guess for longer <laughs> okay sounds good okay that feels like enough intro do you want to get started yeah let's get into it <laughs> okay so we start by getting introduced to lord peter Wimsey, so our main like detective and he's heading out to a book sale when he realizes he's forgotten the catalog wait there's a catalog for a book sale well there's no internet i guess okay. so you can't I guess. Makes sense. I just, I just, I'm just rolling with it. So he had his catalog where maybe he, he like knew all of the books he wanted to buy and had like written down what prices he was willing to pay or things like that. Like mm-hmm. he'd done his research. But anyways, he forgets the catalog. So he kind of tells the taxi, just wait, I'll be right back. And he runs inside. And lucky for him because his mother was actually calling at that minute. And so he's able to take the phone call. And she tells him that a friend of hers, or it's like a friend of a friend, somehow she's caught in wind of this this guy found a dead body in his bathtub and she's called to tell her son because she knows her son wants to be like, he likes doing the amateur detective kind of thing. So she, she doesn't necessarily support his habit, but she, I think it interests her to watch him. Be a detective. That sounds so like the most wishy-washy excuse. Like I don't support your habit at all, but also like in case you're curious, I hear there's <laughs> a body in a bathtub. So like maybe go check that out. I, I don't believe that. Okay. Come on, mom. I don't know. It's not that she doesn't support, like, she outright doesn't support him. It's like the time period she's not allowed to support him. Oh, okay. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't look good as per, like, the gentry. Like, she's a, a duchess. It doesn't, mm. I don't know. So she can't, she can't be outspoken about it, but she can hint at it. But in any case, he decides can't go to that book sale anymore. And so instead he sends his butler, whose name is Bunter, which I think is a perfect name for a butler. And so the butler goes, Bunter goes to the sale and Lord Peter heads out to Battersea, which is, I guess, an area in London where the body has been found. Okay. So I was going to say, like, is is Bunter important? Do I need to keep track of that? Or is it just like Bunter's picking up some books? I'd say he's a pretty, he has a pretty large role in the story. Okay. I think, I think he was important. I won't, I won't say more, but yeah, I keep track of him. (laughs) (laughs) So then we're introduced to Mr. Alfred Phipps. And he's the owner of the house where the bathtub was, bathtub with the body was discovered. And he actually was the one who discovered the body. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. He's described as a small, nervous man. And he's very pleased to see Lord Peter. That's a, hmm. That's like verbatim. <laughs> I don't know. I guess <laughs> you'd be pleased if someone came to deal with the body that you found in your bathtub. I guess that makes sense. It's all. It's also like the idea that he's a lord. Like it's this. Ah. Like he's just a, like a regular old businessman, and this is like a lord. Like this is a big deal. Someone like this person's paying attention to him. Very fancy. Okay, that makes sense. Uh huh. So what had happened was they had a servant girl, like a live-in servant, whose name was Gladys, and she had left the bathroom window open all night. Mm-hmm. Which they're kind of saying normally she was a she was a really. She was a really good servant, I guess. Normally she was good in that like she wasn't very forgetful, but this wasn't the first time that she'd forgotten to close a window. And it shouldn't be a problem. They're on the like maybe fourth floor. They're like they're the highest apartment in this building, but they wouldn't have been very tall. Like it would have been three or four stories. Okay. And so it shouldn't be a problem, but the idea that, well, look what happens when you leave the window open, now we have a body in our bathtub. Mm. So it it's not Gladys in the bathtub. It's like a random body. It's a random body. It's no one recognizes this person at all. Oh, that's weird. Don't you hate when that happens? Yeah. It's like, 
wake up for a shower <laughs> and then there's like, oh, shucks. Okay, this is kind of weird. Gosh darn, we've yeah. got to deal with another body. Yeah. <laughs> so earlier in the day, the Scotland Yard inspector, whose name is Inspector Sugg, had been to kind of, you know, actually do the police proceedings. And he's described, he's described as like, I guess, not very good at his job, but it's more in the like, he doesn't like Lord Peter's interference. You get the sense that there have been multiple cases that Lord Peter has participated in, and Inspector Sugg doesn't enjoy him being there. That seems like completely normal. I feel like if I was a cop, and like this Lord is just like, I have nothing to do. Can I just bother you and try to solve murders? You'd be kind of pissed. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. And he doesn't he doesn't seem to have left very good favor in the the discoverers of the body. He's been very rude to both Alfred Thipps, Mr. Thipps, and Gladys. He was super accusatory of Gladys, saying that like this is all her fault for leaving the window open, basically. Okay. And then Mr. Thipps has an extra key to the bathroom. So they the police had locked the bathroom and taken the key with them when they had gone. But Mr. Thipps, you know, he's got a duplicate, so he's able to show Lord Peter the body. That seems like maybe something they probably shouldn't have done. You know, like... Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> let's only take one of the keys. Hmm. Okay. You get the idea Mr. Thipps did not tell them there was a second key. <laughs> okay. Does anyone else have a key to this apartment? Hmm things to think about so this is this isn't the key to the apartment it's just the key to the bathroom okay still a good question are there how many keys are there to the apartment but specifically the bathroom i think there's only two so the window sorry the bathroom is kind of like long and narrow is how they describe it and so the bathtub is would be on one side and the window is right above the foot of the bathtub okay hmm. and then the window looks out over they were like looking over the courtyard so kind of at the the back end of the apartment or the back end of the house not looking out on the street and they're able to see out like on like the the corner of the courtyard is St. Luke's Hospital on the right and this is run by Sir Julian Freck which is F R E K E and Sir Jul- they had actually called at the hospital the police had called at the hospital earlier in the day kind of like asking do you have any missing bodies? Because they were thinking maybe one of the students had played a practical joke and dropped this body off. Like, oh kind of bladdered, put it in the Oh, my kids. <laughs> yeah. Imagine getting donated to science and then some med student is like, I'm just going to take this body and leave it in someone's bathtub. That would be... Yeah. Yeah. So it's even... Not worse, but I've listened to podcasts on this before. Back in this kind of time period... Like they had a bunch, they had workhouses and factories and things like that. And basically, if you died there, your body like automatically got donated to the hospital, even if you didn't want it to be. Hmm. Okay. So that's that was like that's where these bodies come from. Anyways, they they call on suit Sir Julian because he's in charge of the hospital, and he ends up coming over to see the body. He's like, no, nothing's missing, but I'll like I can double check. And he does, I think, like starts the autopsy. He doesn't do the autopsy, but he's able to like you know examine it and give a time of death. Okay. So when did it? When did the body die? I think they say they might not say yet, but I like I think there's some idea that it's like been dead. They the body's been dead around a day, or maybe longer. Okay. There's some there's a little bit of conflicting time, but they I don't know if they say just yet. So it seems like the person wasn't killed in the bathroom. It was the body was dumped in the bathroom. Is what it sounds like. Yeah. But there's also, so Mr. Thipps had actually been away for a couple days. He had been out on a business trip for, I think, the last two days and had arrived the night before. So theoretically, he wasn't in the house. There is 
this possibility that the body was hidden in the house beforehand, but there's mm. like, you know, there's just more investigation to be done. So then the other, you're going to find this very weird. The body is completely nude, except for a pair of gold pen, oh no, pince-nez, like spectacles. Yeah, like bold <laughs> the glasses. French word. Huh. Yeah. So that's all that's all that's on the body. And Lord Peter like gives it his own thorough examination. And he also sticks his head out the window and kind of checks out, you know, the courtyard and the roof and everything like that. And then he kind of notices, I think he hears police sirens. And so he knows Inspector Sugg's coming back. And then Inspector Sugg will kick him out. So he leaves the house <laughs> as quickly as possible. <laughs> I like those characters. Pretty funny. Yeah. Okay. So when Lord Peter gets home, he finds that Bunter, his butler, has done very well at the sale, the book sale, and had gotten all the books that he had wanted with an extra 60 pounds to spare. Or something wow, along those lines. Go Bunter. I know. <laughs> and they seem to have a very good relationship because Lord Peter kind of says, well, that's 60 extra pounds I didn't think I'd have. So what do you want to buy yourself? Huh. That's a pretty, pretty nice thing to do. Yeah, right? I feel like 60 pounds back then is like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of says, oh, well, I really need a camera lens, a new camera lens or something like that. That's 50 pounds. And so Lord Peter's like, Yep, that's what you want. Go get it. Cool. There's kind of a sense given that Bunter takes pictures for Lord Peter of things. So like him having a camera is partly his like job responsibility as well. Hmm. Okay. Oh, so later in the day, there's a knock on the door and Bunter shows in Mr. Parker into the library where Lord Peter is sitting. And he's super excited to meet his friend. So Mr. Parker is also a Scotland Yard detective, but he is... Actually, he's competent like he's actually does his job well and him and Lord Peter get on well so that's there are the differences between the two Scotland Yard people mm, okay <laughs> they're kind of getting really excited and delighted to talk about crime and so he Lord Peter tells Mr. Parker that he's he's got his own body to tell Mr. Parker about and I think Mr. Parker says oh yes I've heard of I've heard of that bud body I actually ran into Inspector Sugg and I have a body of my own, per se. So there's this, this exchange of stories going on. And his story is about this um, kind of rich business dude named Sir Reuben Levy. Mm -hmm. And he's gone missing. Hmm. So there was this idea that they thought the bathtub body might be the same man, but he had gone to examine them and they're not. Like, it's not the same person. So they're, it's not connected. Okay. And then they also... They also say that Gladys has been arrested. Inspector Sugg arrested the the maid from. That seems, that seems a little premature, Mister Sugg. Okay. You you feel like there's not enough information, but he's he's happy go lucky, ready ready to arrest. Okay, well, poor Gladys. I feel like if she gets arrested this early, she definitely probably didn't do it. So that's good <laughs> for her at least. Are you crossing her name out? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe like a little bit lightly, you know? Okay. <laughs> so Mr. Parker is going to tell Lord Peter kind of about this story with Sir Reuben. So what had happened uh, is Sir Reuben had gone out to dinner the night before. And he had been with like the, with the, a couple of friends and they had been having like a really joyous time. And they were going to go out to like the theater afterwards. But Levy, Sir Reuben Levy said, sorry, I can't go. I have in my own appointment. So he kind of left them maybe around eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And the cook had seen him return home around midnight. So 
She mm. had seen him on the doorstep outside the hot house and then had heard him like go up the stairs to bed. And his bed had been slept in. He had undressed. All his clothes were kind of astray around the room. Um, but he wasn't there in the morning. And there were no clothes missing. So it was this idea of like, did he leave completely naked? Like what what happened? But his butler like attests to know all of his clothes are here. Mm. So what I find strange about that is why are all of his clothes like a strewn if it sounds like he didn't change clothes, right? Because if he, I guess all of his clothes are there. So either he has new clothes that he's wearing. I don't know. It almost seems like he's looking for something versus like, why yeah. would you mess up your clothes? Mm. Well, it's it's not, sorry. I said all of his clothes were straight. I just met the ones that he was wearing the night before. Like they had been, he had been, oh, he'd okay. undressed and kind of just left had changed into like he his pajamas were looked worn like it looked like he'd slept in them but they were also like on the bed in the morning hmm. okay um and then the maid who had been cleaning at 6 30 a.m the following morning this was monday night that he had been out to dinner and then come home and then the tuesday morning she had heard no one enter or leave the house from 6 30 onwards so anything that happened was between midnight and probably around six interesting yeah and then there's some more weird things that happened. So Lady Levy, the um, Sir Le- Levy's wife, had been away in, they call it Mentone. I don't know what that means, but basically it's all all to say is that she had seen, a, like, I guess a nerve specialist. They, they always call this in these books, like, people had problems with their nerves. And so they would go away on, like, a vacation to get, like, fresh air. And I think... It's normally referring to like some kind of mental illness, like possibly anxiety or mm. things like that. It's not, it's always, not always, but in these older books, it's lumped together as quote unquote nerves. And so there's no description given on what that means. Okay. She's, she's away. So she's away is what it comes down to, her and her daughter. And so normally Sir and Lady Levy slept together in the same bed and Lord Levy would sleep on the outside side of the bed. Mm-hmm. But the night, like that Monday night... He had slept in the middle with both pillows, which was abnormal. He never did that, even when his wife was away. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing that was weird is that the Tuesday morning, he was supposed to have a really important business transaction meeting with some, I think, railway people. And the dinner friends that he, like the friends he'd had dinner with the night before said he was really like kind of excited and happy about the meeting. And so the idea that he would purposefully disappear or like commit suicide or do something just seemed really weird under those circumstances, like the fact that he had this appointment in the morning that he was supposed to be at. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So it seems like something happened between 9 and 12 that freaked him out or something like that. Yeah, so it's got to got to figure out what that appointment was. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So then Lord Peter asks Bunter what he thinks about it all. So this, they've, Bunter's like always sits in in these kind of meetings because mm-hmm. he's, I guess, not not that he's like the the Watson to his Sherlock, but that kind of idea of like he's part of, like he's a little bit of a helper to the the private detective sure. lifestyle. And so that he's at Bunter's asked what he thinks, and he thinks it's odd that the man because they 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 showed that Lord Levy brushed his teeth and like shaved or like did his toiletry stuff at night, and he says he thinks it's weird that Lord Levy had time to brush his teeth but not fold his clothes because he was kind of like hmm. in my experience. If, if you don't have time to fold your clothes the night before, why would you have time to brush your teeth? And it was Lord Levy, not Lord Levy, Sir Levy had, was, had always folded his clothes the night before. Like that was his custom. So this was weird that he hadn't. Sorry, did you have anything to say in that? No, I, I think that that's definitely weird. It's like he did his toiletries. 
he didn't fold his clothes, but also it seems like he slept in his bed or, you know, something happened in his bed. Definitely kind of weird. Yeah. So then they kind of go back. They've been talking about Sir Levy and then they move back to the bathtub body. They, they discuss, now they're discussing the injuries. So the man had been hit on the back of the neck, which is like, that was the blow that killed him. And the doctor's kind of evidence, they think that he had been dead a day or two. And they also think that he was based on like his grooming and his manicure and not perfume, but like, you know, like the scent of his cleaning or whatever. They were guessing that he was a well-to-do Hebrew man. I have no idea how you can sit say that necessarily that he was like he was hebrew or he was jewish um i think there might be some racism in this time i'm not sure because i i just don't know i guess the the important thing is that sir levy was jewish and so i think that there's supposed to be like a connection there but i i just don't know what's racist and what's not and Uh, so i I don't want to say about it hmm. oh yeah so talking about that, but then, or that's what the police think of the body. But then Lord Peter kind of points out some discrepancies that he noticed. So he didn't talk about these before when he's examining it, but now we're kind of getting into the book. And he says that, why was it that he had manicured hands, like his nails were well manicured, yet he had, his hands were full of calluses that made it look like he was a working class man? And the same thing with his shoes. His shoes were covered in, or his feet were covered in blisters, which make, made it look like he was doing a lot of walking in his shoes, which a like a businessman wouldn't necessarily be doing. And then as well, the the man's back and one of his legs are covered in flea bites. And so there was this um, strong smell of, car, I think they call it carbolic soap. And so he's kind of suggesting it's, it almost seems as if he had just like washed his body to get rid of fleas. So that's weird. And then the last thing that he points out that's weird is that the man had hair and shaving soap in his mouth still. And so what Lord Peter is saying like from his, from his examination is he thinks that the man was killed and then shaved and all of these other things. That's weird. Who does a manicure on a dead body? Oh my God. Okay. Right. Yeah. Very, very weird. Trying to pass this guy off as someone else. It seems weird. Yeah, so there's, he's kind of saying this guy, I don't think this guy was actually a well-to-do man. I think he was just made to look like a well-to-do man. Hmm. But he was actually more of a working class. And then they also note that the roof was only a couple of feet above the window. And that the windowsill had like a charcoal mark on it. Like it was, it was the windowsill was scuffed. Okay. Mr. Parker, the, the Scotland Yard detective guy, takes a while to kind of digest all of this information and come around to the same point of view of Lord as Lord Peter that this body was yeah, manicured and kind of made to look like a well-to-do man. But when he gets there, he's kind of saying that just creates a lot more questions, such as like, why Thipps, why Mr. Thipps' house? And then now is the girl in on it? Like, why, like, did she leave the window on, open on purpose that someone could slip this body in? Like, how would you know that the window was open? Or were you targeting him? Like, there's all these things rushing around in his head about what's going on. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to get... I imagine if it's an apartment building, there are a lot of other apartments on that floor. So they obviously were trying to put it in Phipps's building uh, apartment because I guess they knew him; he was away. So I guess that makes sense if they think Gladys is in on it because she left the window open and she probably could have told them that Phipps was away. So I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So just the questions they're asking. As they're talking, a call comes in, sorry, a call comes in for Lord Peter. And this is like, it's like pretty late evening. Like, let's say it's around midnight right now. 
and it's Mr. Thipps's mother, Mr. Thipps's mother, Mrs. Thipps. And she's, she lives in the same house as Mr. Thipps and is super deaf and maybe a little blind. And so she, she hadn't really understood what was going on that day with the bathroom and the police. She just knew the bathroom was locked and you couldn't go in, but she thought it was like a plumbing issue. Hmm. So she's calling to say my, her son's been arrested and that when, as he was being arrested, he had yelled at her to call the Lord, call Lord Peter. And so she had spent all evening trying to find his phone number and then call him. Hmm. So Lord Peter, he, he is pretty pleased about this because he had needed a way to kind of show Inspector Sugg, like, I'm a part of this mystery. And so now the idea that he's like helping Mrs. Thipps and like he's her caregiver type thing is like, oh, perfect. This is my inn. Let's go to the apartment right away. Mm -hmm. So he gets there and basically goes around to all the other apartment, like the flats in that building, asking if someone will take in Mrs. Thipps, like that she can live with them. I think the the idea is she can't care for herself. She's too old. Does she live in the same apartment as... Mr. Phipps or is okay so was she there uh when the body showed up or was she also away no you'd assume she was there but she's super deaf okay super deaf super blind yeah I think she I think they say at some point like her bedtime was like 10 so she would have anything past then kind of out of the picture (laughs) okay yeah they're just trying to find a place for her to stay and everyone says no no one in the flat will let her stay so Lord Peter ends up calling his mother because he can't take her in. Like that wouldn't be decent because he's a man. Yeah. Type thing, I think. Sure. He calls his mother and they end up bringing her to Denver Castle, which is where his family's from. And this oh, is my. around 2 a.m. now. They get there. So they get Mrs. Thipps to bed and then mother and son are kind of discussing the case. And so this is kind of where I'm saying like the mom clearly was interested in all of this stuff, but she wasn't like for social reasons, wasn't allowed to be outward about it. But, you know, it's 2 a.m. now. They can totally talk about it. <laughs> so she's kind of telling him, basically saying, how could they possibly arrest Mr. Thipps? There's no way he has anything to do about it. And then she's also kind of shocked that they think the body is Levy's. Like, she thinks that's ridiculous as well. And then she, oh, okay, so they talk about there had been new evidence. And so this is why they had arrested Mr. Thipps. And it had been a like prostitute in Battersea, the area where Mr. Phipps lived, had seen kind of a respectable man get off the bus or walking down the street and kind of looking lost. And so she had approached him as like a possible client, possible customer. Mm-hmm. And he had asked her for directions. And so she had pointed him in, I think maybe towards Mr. Phipps's house or something along those lines, or just the idea that he had been in Battersea in that area. And so as he was leaving, another man had passed by her, the, the, the girl, and said, oh, that's Mr. That's Sir Levy. And so the next day when the body had been found, she had gone to the police to kind of be like, is the, like, I saw, I saw Sir Levy in the area. Ah, that seems a little fishy to me. I don't know if I, just a random, <laughs> a random person is who you're going to trust to say that that's, Ms., that's uh, Sir Levy. That seems. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I'm with you. It's a little, seems a little thin. Like, is Mr. Levy like that big of a celebrity that just random people would know who he is? Or is it like, I don't know. I just, it, it seems like I don't believe that's a plausible thing if he's not like super famous. Yeah. It's confusing because I have no idea what was going on in these times in terms of media. Like it's possible his picture would have been like, not picture, but like a sketch of him could have been printed in the newspaper 
it's so hard, right? Like, I feel like if I was reading this book in 1923, I'd be like, oh, of course they knew who he was or the opposite. But because we're reading it 100 years later, I have no idea. <laughs> he's a businessman. Like, he's, sure. but he's not, he's a, he's a self-made man. They keep calling him that. So it's not like he's, he was born into it. I don't know if that matters. Mm. Not Oh, and then the other thing that was like the other kind of evidence and the reason they had been arrested is there had been a lot of confusion over when Mr. Phipps had gotten home from his like business trip. So he said he had gotten home on the 10 p.m. train and then walked home or taken a cab home and had been at his house at 1030. But Gladys had said he was home at 1145 and then Mr. Phipps couldn't kind of say where he was for all of that time. And then Gladys had changed her story and said he had gone home at 10.30. And then they found that he had checked a bag at the train station and he had never gone back to pick it up. And then he says, oh, I just went for a walk for a few hours, but won't say with who, like he refused to say who he was walking with or things like that. Like it's just all very convoluted. So the the rest was kind of made because of all of that. That's very strange. So he checked a bag, didn't pick it up, on the 10 p.m. train as like sort of originally unaccounted for for close to two hours sort of in the same time frame as when Mr. Levy is unaccounted for and then Gladys changes her story yeah definitely a little weird okay I think Gladys ends up changing her story again like so first she says 11:45, then she says 10 30 and then she says you know what I actually never heard him come home I was lying like I I wasn't I didn't hear him I wasn't awake mm. or like that kind of thing. And so it's very, it's just super open-ended on, okay, pick one. Stop, stop making up these lies. And it almost feels like Gladys might have like just played hooky for the night because she didn't think Dips was going to be home until late. So she just like, mm. was like, oh, I'll just, you know, take a night off or something. But yeah. So all this uh, mother and son, like Lord Peter and his mo- mom are discussing. And then the mom kind of says that she used to know Lady Levy, like they had been maybe they had gone to school together, that kind of thing, or they had run in the same circles as, as girls, and that she was of a good family. And then she names the family. She says she was a Ford. And that as well, I wonder if that's supposed to have meaning to me, or I'm like, okay, great, she was a Ford. <laughs> but that means that means she was of a very good family. And the family had wanted her to marry Julian Freck, Ooh. who was, I think at that time, of, like, he was also of good standing, but she had been in love with Mr. Levy, who at that time, mm. I think, had no money, and then went on to become this self-made man and be very rich. But he didn't have anything then. So I don't think there were any hard, like, there had been no engagement, there had been no hard feelings, but it was this, like, again, back then, these, like, family arrangements were a little more serious. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Lord Peter goes back to London and he meets up with Mr. Parker and they're back to discussing the, the same same old problems, the same old murder slash disappearance cases. And Parker has actually been to work. He's been he's been getting his job done throughout the morning while Lord Peter. Was Unlike doing Mr. Sugg, ugh, <laughs> useless. Okay, God. Yeah, right. So he found they already knew there were no footprints in the courtyard underneath the window because it was asphalt. So you like they're just. There were there wouldn't have been any markings anyways, mm-hmm. but on top of so he had gone up to the roof because in, they don't think Inspector Sugg kind of checked out the roof, so they're like, okay, we'll do this. So he had found no footprints, which I think was also normal because it wasn't raining, and so there wouldn't have been it wouldn't have made sense for that to be any marks. 
but he did find some fibers like cloth piece not piece of cloth you know what i mean like um threads from cloth yeah attached to the gutter right above the window the bathroom window and attached to the chimney above the thips apartment okay interesting so i guess just the idea of like okay so maybe someone was up here maybe something was up here hmm And then also the whole row of houses, I think you can picture it like if you picture London flats, like they're, they all have a flat roof and they're kind of all connected together. Like picture um, Mary Poppins. That's what I think the best example is. (laughs) So that's kind of what that row of houses look like. And they all, they're all separate flats, just like the walls connect. So they all had their own staircases that would have gone up to the roof. So he's kind of saying there, there's so many buildings that someone could have been on and then gotten to this one if they could have come from any direction. Yeah. And then Bunter had developed photographs. So I, I don't know at what point Bunter was in the bathtub room, the, like the bathroom of the Phipps' apartment, but you're taking pictures of what they thought were fingerprints on the bathtub and developed them. It shows that what they thought, what they hoped would be fingerprints looked looks like fingers, but someone was wearing gloves. So there's no prints. Hmm. Interesting. But like, I guess it could be cleaning gloves, but I mm, I feel like Gladys would do a better job. Yeah. Or would like, yeah, no, you're right. They, so I think the idea is that there's, like they were maybe, there was a little bit of soot, like there a little bit of charcoal from. Ah, okay. From the mark on the, the windowsill. Yeah. They're kind of making that assumption. Okay. I forgot to tell you. One sec. So I told for everyone home, I told Matt earlier in the week that there was a really funny thing in the book that I was really looking forward to telling him. So I was saying that this book kind of has weird slang in it. And it's kind of written a little bit funny. They're just I'm not used to reading books like this. And so when Mr. Parker kind of first arrives and Lord Peter and him are like sharing their murders or murder disappearance stories, Lord Peter says to Parker, Parker's like finished telling his story. And Lord Peter goes, it isn't all. It isn't all. Daddy, go on. That's not half a story. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Do you just call people daddy in this time period? Right! Uh, exactly! Yeah. Uh, mm. Daddy, go on. <laughs> well, okay there. I guess they're just... Lord Peter has some uh, away with words. Okay. So what I would like to know is anyone listening who has a better grasp on history from all I can find and my, my friend can find is that daddy has always been associated with like um, kind of gay culture and or not even that just like sexual culture like it's what prostitutes would call people in the 1800s or stuff like that. But if you know what if what this is supposed to mean, please email me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at Tuesday Night Mystery Club because I want to know. I'm sure Matt wants to know, right? Oh, you bet. <laughs> okay, sorry. That was a distraction, but a necessary one. It honestly it made my day. That's. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Okay, okay. Where are we so, at? Bunter? Right. So Bunter developed the pictures. We like we know the rubber gloves. And so just, just the idea that someone, it seems that someone had been in the bathroom wearing rubber gloves from the outside. So then they go to Park Lane. And Park Lane is like the area where Sir Levy was from, the disappeared guy. And it's because Mr. Parker has obviously seen the bedroom and seen the house to be able to t- tell the story. But Lord P- Peter hasn't seen anything yet. So he wants to see. And he's also brought Bunter along to take more pictures of some of the 
things that would have been in his room that would have had fingerprints on them. So they're kind of looking for more fingerprints. It's getting his money was worth with that uh, that brand new lens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Bunter is kind of sent into the kitchen with um, a bunch of items. I think there's like an umbre- the umbrella because it had been raining the night before or something or maybe in the early evening i'm not sure but the sir levy had come home with an umbrella and left it at the door so they'd have that they get his hairbrush because he would have brushed his hair every night so his fingerprints would have been on that there's a book beside his bed that they take the tooth cup tooth mug i don't know water glass by the (laughs) by the sink and his boots that he would have been wearing because he would have handled those and the other thing that bunter is doing is he's kind of like pumping up the servants and basically what he does is he'll like talk badly of his own employer but like in a fake like he's doing it just so that they feel more comfortable telling him things about their own master about sir levy that makes sense and then he'll report back to they wouldn't um, want to do that to like hi lord peter that seems like a good way of getting fired if you're a like a servant exactly yeah so it's this it's actually yeah it's quite smart so he's doing that and Meanwhile, Lord Peter is measuring the impression in the bed. So he's kind of, you know, he's got mm-hmm. his measuring tape out and seeing how tall this, this person was. And he, he thinks it can't be Sir Levy that had slept in the bed because it's a shorter man. He thinks the impression is around like 5'10". And then Mr. Parker is kind of disagreeing with him and going, do you sleep completely straight every time you sleep? Or like, do you kind of curl up in a ball? Like this doesn't, this doesn't show anything. But then he finds a red hair on the pillowcase where... Levy, Sir Levy had dark, like almost black hair, like dark brown hair. So kind of, he's kind of going, aha, where's this from? And so they get out the top hat that Sir Levy would have worn the night before and find that it not only has dark hair in it, it also has red hair in it, in the hat. Oh, that's weird. Huh. Mm -hmm. So maybe Mr. Levy didn't come home that night at all. Hmm. Yeah. That's kind of what Lord Peter is saying is, I don't think this was Sir Levy. I think this was an imposter, a very bold imposter who's willing to sleep in his bed. Do we know anyone who has red hair so far? Uh, Phipps doesn't have red hair or anything, does he? Who? Phipps or whatever his name is. Yeah. I don't think we're told. I don't think we can show anyone's hair color now. Okay. Um, It's spelled T-H-I-P-P-S. Got it. Phipps. And then they call Bunter up to kind of give the evidence of the prints, the fingerprints on the items. And he says he's not done developed, like he's not done taking the pictures yet. He, this is kind of crazy. So he says every photo, like he has to leave it on exposure because the current in the house is so low for 30 minutes in order for it to like, be a good picture. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Oh, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> also, like, in what world does he have these photos already? Like, it's 1920. They've been up here for like 30 minutes. And they're like, do you have fully developed photos for us yet, Bunter? Like... Of course he doesn't. Come on, guys. <laughs> no. And he I don't think he says he does, but he has like dusted all of he has like that special gray powder and he's yeah. dusted all of the items. So he can tell what it's gonna look like. He just hasn't taken the pictures. And so what what it comes down to is the hairbrush and the book on the bedside table both had one set of prints on it. And they assume that these are Sir Levy's because there's a they can tell they're the same because there's a scar through the thumbprint. So hmm. they're both the same person. Whereas the other three items, the umbrella, the cup, and the boots, have two sets of prints on them, one of which look like they're rubber, like the hands had rubber gloves on. Huh. They're, just, they're fingerprints, but they're like more like smudged. Like they don't look like prints. They just look like finger marks. 
And so both all those, they all, and they also have um, what they're guessing is Sir Levy's prints, which have the um, scar in the thumb through them handprint. Hmm. So that's more to Lord Peter's theory that someone else was in the house the night before. Or if not, it was a very carefully planned out Sir Levy, you know, placing these, these hairs and wearing gloves. It seems strange. Like, so earlier they said that he did his toiletries, but then didn't take, he like didn't fold his clothes. And now it seems like the toiletry, mm-hmm. I guess the hairbrush only has his prints on it, which makes it seem like he's the one doing that. But it's like, did Levy take his own clothes off? I don't know. I I just don't. I'm trying to figure out when he would have brushed his hair. Like, did Levy come home and then he was something happened in his apartment and then they dragged his body out? I don't know. Something's up. Something's up. It's very confusing. So Lord Peter then goes off to meet a friend of his, Freddie Arbuthnot. Interesting name. For lunch, and they're kind of talking about investments, and then they kind of from there they move to talking about the disappearance of Levy. Of Sir Levy and Freddie Arbuthnot, I guess, is also kind of involved in the business world, and so he's getting a little more information, saying that Sir Levy was supposed to meet with John Milligan, who's one of the people that kind of like runs the railway deals, like the train service, and it was something to do. They don't give specifics, but they kind of say that the deal, like the meeting, was supposed to be something to do with property, so either property that. Sir Levy wanted, but it's property that maybe also Mr. Milligan, the train railway guy, wanted. And then they moved to talking about how, like, the Argentine oil stocks had went to hell after Levy had disappeared. Basically, like, Tuesday morning, the market had been shocked by Levy's disappearance. And so there was a couple of things that weren't doing as well because he wasn't there. Like, it, it did affect things, which would make you assume that he's... He's a pretty powerful businessman, I would guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, what do you think would affect the stock market? If I mean, it depends on, I guess, how, if he's like an oil dude, I guess him going missing would probably mess with oil stocks. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I, that's plausible enough. Do you think if Mark Zuckerberg just suddenly went missing, do you think that would affect the stocks? Oh, I think like, like if, Mar- if like Mark Zuckerberg was murdered, like Facebook would probably tank. That That seems logical. Interesting. Okay. So I, I assume that this is like a similar thing then. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they're kind of saying Levy, Sir Levy's disappearance had shocked certain parts of the market. And it's, they don't go into a lot of details. They kind of just, they don't even say, they say the Argentine stocks, but they don't specify oil. I'm just kind of guessing through other things they're saying. So that was a little confusing. They don't really talk about what's going on. So now that Lord Peter has the name of the the guy who Sir Levy was supposed to be meeting with that day, he goes to visit Mr. John Milligan, the railway guy. Mm-hmm. And he's at work and he's he's kind of now he's noting people's heights and hair color and things like that. So Mr. Milligan is, he thinks around 5'10 with dark hair. And Lord Peter uses, he's kind of like making up an excuse to be able to talk to Mr. Milligan. And so the excuse he comes up with is that his the church near his mom Need, like is in dire need of money because the church roof is collapsing. And so they're having like a bazaar, like a, a church fete to raise mm-hmm. money for the church roof. And he's kind of, his like, his like, you know, invented story is that his mother and all his mother's friends, like because they're the aristocracy and whatever, whatever, like it really interests them to hear businessmen men talk about their work. And so he's going around <laughs> to ask all these different businessmen to come talk for a few minutes at the bazaar and like to help raise money and things like that and so he's like 
pumping up how great Mr. Milligan is as a businessman and like how his mm -hmm. mother and her friends would be so interested to hear it. <laughs> of course, of course. That's exactly what everyone wants to hear. It's Railway Baron. <laughs> he, he seems to buy it. or Like you don't know, but he's giving that impression. He might just be a good actor. And he, I think, agrees. And then, but so part of it is he's blending this talk into the, the, the body in the bathtub. And the reason for that is the vicar, I think, was, and the vicar's wife were good friends with Mrs. Thipps, the mother of Mr. Thipps, who discovered the body. And so he's tied in. That's how he's tying everything in. Mm. And so it's his, he just wants to be able to talk about this body and see if Mr. Milligan reacts in any way. Okay. So it seems it seems like no, like he's saying these names and there's no he's not noticing any change in his attitude. But then so Mr. Milligan says, oh, well, sure, we'll write a check for a thousand pounds for the church fund right away. And he kind of turns to his secretary to write it. And that's when Lord Peter notices that the secretary has red hair. And so now he's kind of directing his guesswork or like, you know, he's asking these questions now and looking at the secretary to see if the secretary reacts in any way. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So there, but there isn't, there isn't too much reaction from either side or like, he's not asking the right questions. He's not getting no surprise, no shock, no whatever. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then as he goes to leave, the secretary stands up and looks to be like taller than six foot. So he's like, okay, he's not, he might be too tall. Hmm. I'm sure. But you know, six foot, you could scrunch yourself into 5'11". That seems doable. Yeah, so there's that kind of talk about... We're not sure. So then, the next morning, Mr. Parker comes over to Lord Peter's house for breakfast. And Lord Peter had put out, as soon as he had seen the gold chain and the gold like glasses on the dead man, he had put an ad in the paper. It was And it was kind of directed towards um, who manufactured this chain. Like, that's who he's looking for. And so he's received a response, like a letter back for his ad. And so they, he kind of says, we won't talk about that yet. Let's enjoy our breakfast and read the paper or whatever. So they, they're reading the paper that they're talking about, like how Levy's death affected the oil stocks. And Mr. Parker is wondering if Sir Levy had had anything to do with the Peruvian oil stocks, because he's kind of saying there had been this like weird, the this Peruvian oil stocks basically they had been a dud enterprise for years. Like nothing was happening with them. The stocks, I don't think were going up or down. They were just kind of like at, they were pretty low to begin with. And then all of a sudden last week, there had been like this boom. And like, for some reason, the stocks had gone up. And so people had started buying them type thing. But then uh, they have petered out again now. Like they're back mm -hmm. down to kind of, and so he's kind of going, what happened there? Was that anything to do with Sir Levy? Yeah, maybe the, that deal had something to do with something in Peru or something. Yeah, there's just, some, there's just some more investigation to be done there. And then Mr. Parker had also been around interviewing people in the flats around Mr. Thipps. And he had gotten out of a servant at the end of the row of houses, thought that she had heard a thump in the night, I guess early Monday morning, like not 1 a.m., but like, you know, that, that type of time. Um, but then she also admits that it could have been on Saturday when there had been a lot of high wind and it could have just been something like hitting the roof. She wasn't totally sure when it had happened. And so now they pull out the letter. So that letter that came for the advertisement. And it's a man, it comes from a man named Mr. Crimplesham. Crimplesham? Crimplesham. This is one of those ones where I've never said it out loud and I'm looking at it and going, how do you pronounce this name? I think 
fictional Mr. Crimplesham wouldn't be offended oh, if you mispronounced Hello, Mr. Crimplesham. So he kind of gives some details about the glasses. He says that he had, he's saying that they're his glasses and that he had lost them in the train Monday afternoon when he was heading home at around 5.45. And they, the chain, he doesn't really care too much about the glasses, but the chain was a present from his daughter. So like they have sentimental value and he'd really like to have them back. And he's attached his like optician's report of the the prescription of the glasses. And so Lord Peter kind of says to Parker, Mr. Parker, like, let's get the Scotland Yard optician's report of the glasses found on the dead man and see if they line up. And they do. They're they're very it's it's kind of an odd prescription. They're very strong and both eyes are different. And so the fact that the optician report of Scotland Yard and the one Mr. Crimplesham sent that are the same, it seems to suggest that they are his glasses. Then they're talking about what could have happened here. They're, e- they're saying either there's some misunderstanding or Mr. Crimplesham is a very bold villain. The fact that he's just sending a letter to ask for these glasses back. That seems, that seems fair enough. I don't know how the dead person would have gotten these, these glasses. <laughs> like, but. So then they're going to, they discuss how, yeah, they're discussing exactly that. How could this tie in? And so they're thinking possibly Mr. Crimplesham was like an unwilling accomplice in the sense that maybe he was being like blackmailed or someone was like making him write that letter to get the glasses back. And so it wasn't actually him. Or maybe he was an unwilling accomplice in the sense that like he didn't even know the glasses had been taken from him by someone he knew who was using them. Mm. Um, And then they kind of were saying, or does he have an enemy? Did someone take these glasses from him on purpose in order to set him up? Like, is this something... They're trying to pin this this murder on him using the glasses. And then their final thing is that, is he just that bold? Like he, he's, they're kind of saying if maybe he knows he has like a solid alibi for the entire night. And so it can't be proven that he was anywhere near the body. And so this was just like a bold move of like, maybe he's just like really into adrenaline or something. It is, he gets a fix from this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the address given on the letter was in Salisbury. And so Lord Peter and Bunter kind of go out there immediately. And Mr. Parker had wanted to come, but Lord Peter was like, no, it's better if I go alone. They had like a, not a fight, but they had kind of argued about it. But it ends up being just Lord Peter and Bunter. And so they get there and they have lunch in town. And the waiter is able to tell them about Mr. Crimplesham because he's Mm -hmm. a very good lawyer in town. So he's well known. And he kind of, the waiter describes him as old fashioned. He's around 80 years old and and therefore will be retiring soon. And he's leaving his business to his younger business partner, Mr. Wicks. Okay. Then Lord Peter finishes lunch and he walks over to Mr. Crimplesham's office. And basically he's kind of, he's trying to figure out how do I approach this? Because he can't give back the glasses. He doesn't have them. Scotland Yard mm-hmm. has them. And so he decides that he thinks just the whole truth is the best way of going. Like, go straight forward. If this guy is a bold murderer, it's best to just be bold yourself. And so he does that. He tells, he basically tells him, your glasses were found on a dead body. Like, do you, he's kind of asking, do you think anyone would play this kind of a practical joke on you? And Mr. Crimplesham gets just so mad. He gets so annoyed. He's like, what are you talking about? This is a nasty joke and kicks him out of the office. He's like, get out. I'm not talking to you anymore. Hmm. Interesting. Was mm-hmm. he wearing glasses when they were talking to him? Does he have replacements or is it just no glasses? He is. He's wearing, he says he's wearing an old pair. Interesting. Okay. Does that change your opinion of things? No, I, I, I mean, when you said he was a lawyer, I was just thinking maybe he could be a lawyer for someone else. And like, 
he's trying to recover mm. the glasses for his client. I but see. the fact that he, he's also wearing glasses makes me feel like maybe they actually are his glasses. Mm-hmm. Good question. So kind of at the same time, um, Mr. Parker has stayed in London, and so he's attending the inquest for the bathtub body bathtub body man. And so at this point, Scotland Yard has sent out kind of descriptions of the body all over the country, mm-hmm. uh, but no one has come forward to identify the body. So they mm-hmm. still don't have a name. They don't know who this man is. So the dower duchess, I don't know what that means, but it's just Lord Peter's mom, but she's a duchess. And sure. <laughs> we're both on the same page of kind of going like she has is, a title i'm unimpressed like, i don't know like i'm sure it's impressive if you're english <laughs> so, <laughs> so the duchess comes in and so they she kind of goes to sit near the front because she has this title and can and so she calls over mr parker to come sit with her so they're sitting together that's all that matters and mr phipps is the first person to be called up to testify and he says, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Like I've been being, I've been holding back until this point, but I think it's important that you know, like, I'm not going to lie. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Do you want to, wait, like, actually, you know, it'd be fun. Do you want to take a guess at what he did? What are, like, what is your thoughts of Phipps movements for 10 PM onward on the Monday night? So, I mean, it does seem suspicious to me that both of our key people are missing at roughly the same time. So, I mean, maybe he met up with Mr. Levy, but I don't really know what Thips does, and I don't know why he would be meeting with him. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe the the person that uh, the prostitute saw actually was Mr. Thips. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Okay. So, it's kind of a crazy story. He basically says he had gotten off the train and... Sorry, before I start, I think there's no reason you should have been able to guess this. It's kind of would have required a lot of imagination because we have no clues to it (laughs) so far. (laughs) And so he's gotten off the train and immediately kind of runs into an old friend of his from school, which he kind of says he refuses to give their name because basically he doesn't say this, but you get the notion they're involved in some shady business. And so he can't give their name because he'll get them in trouble. Sure. So the friend basically, they get to talking and the friend says, oh, I need to take you out to this place. Like, I know this place we can go. We, We need to go to this place. He makes him check his bag because they don't want to lug it around. And then he takes him to a nightclub. And you get the idea that the reason Mr. Thipps didn't tell them about this before is that it was illegal to be in a nightclub at this time. Or like maybe even like at that time of night. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he goes, he goes to this nightclub and I they don't say this. And so it's me inferencing. But I wonder if it's a strip club because mm. there's this talk of like girls dancing mm. and... He buys a girl a drink at some point because she asks him to. And he kind of he kind of says while he's testifying, I didn't, I thought that must be the right thing to do. I wasn't sure. Okay, so it's like a, a shady bar. Yeah, so he, that's fair. Maybe bars were fine, but this is particularly a shady bar. <laughs> yeah. So around 1230, he goes to leave, like, and he goes to say goodbye to his friend when the police, like, uh, there's a police raid on the, pl- the place. So all the lights go out and he's kind of, freaking out because he's not he doesn't go to these places very often he's kind of like i don't even drink very often but the he thinks the girl who he had bought a drink for helps him escape so he's able to get out of the the establishment he finds himself on kind of this road and he ends up making it home around 1 30 it takes him about an hour i think he walks home it's a lot different time than what he said before okay yes and so then they ask him like what had happened when he got home and he says he had gone straight to bed no he had not used the bathroom 
that's his testimony. And now Gladys is called to the stand. Who goes to a bar and doesn't have to use the bathroom after? That's okay. So I took it as he must have relieved himself on the way home, on the mm. walk home. But I I agree with you. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you must have needed to pee. There's like, no way. Especially if you're at like some little sketchy bar. Like, do you really want to use the bathroom there? Uh, <laughs> Maybe this doesn't have the same hygiene no. that, that we do. <laughs> it is 1920s in London. Oh, that's true. Things yeah. are different. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's still the idea that... I honestly, this is kind of true, but like at, at one point they open the windows because they're like, we need air in case of the influenza. <laughs> okay. So honestly, I feel like people would say the same thing nowadays. would be like, we can't be inside because of the coronavirus. Mm. So, you know, what's different? So now Gladys gets up to testify, and she admits that she had lied about when Phipps had gotten home, and that was because, as you guessed, she wasn't there herself. She was at a dance club. And when kind of pressed by the jury about, basically, I think someone on the jury asks, did you have a boyfriend? She has to say, yes, I did have a boyfriend. And then they're like, okay, when was the last time you see you saw the boyfriend? She's like, okay, well, if I have to say it was on the Monday night. And then they're like, <laughs> okay, was he at the dance hall? Like, okay, yes, if I have to admit it, and I guess I do. Yes, he he took me out to the dance hall. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a little that's a little bit nicer than just like Gladys going out alone to the dance hall. Eh, you know, <laughs> it, you and I would think that, but in this time period, it's improper. Yeah, it's like she's ruining her character to ah, say it. Okay. She says, she says, I guess it's better than getting hanged. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which I would agree. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Just by a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so she says she got, they, she thinks they got home around two. She'd also gone straight to bed and not used the bathroom. Okay. So then Inspector Sugg is called to testify and he admits that there was no evidence that the body was hidden first in the apartment. And I think that was the suggestion was like that the window wasn't important. It was that the body, like they had either Gladys or Mr. Thipps had let the body, like let the person themselves and killed the part of the body and then hidden it later in the night. Hmm. So he's saying that there's like, they, he thinks that Gladys or Thipps killed the person in the bathroom and didn't like bring a body in through a window. Yeah. But he thinks that the body was like hidden under a bed earlier in the day. Oh, okay. And then was then later transferred to the bathtub. But he's kind of, he's forced to admit that there's no evidence that any body was hidden throughout the house and he had looked for it. So that kind of, basically they're, they're mocking him a little bit as he's testifying to this like bad policing. They're basically saying, why'd you arrest this man? There's no evidence against him. So does he say why he did arrest Phipps? Uh, no, not no. really. Okay. I think he kind of goes, like, he, well, he, he does say like he never, he, he was being really shady. Like the fact that he had never said why, like where he went from the train station, I think was his reasoning. Mm, I see. I'm not saying it's a good reason, but yes. that is it. I, I agree with Lord Peter. Or what's his name? Peter? <laughs> yeah, this guy's a, he's a piece of work. I don't know. <laughs> so then Sir Julian Freck is called up to testify. And he and the Scotland Yard doctor, Dr. Grimbold, had both examined the body and kind of done the autopsy on it. And I think that's normal that you'd have a couple doctors do it. So there was like a second opinion. Mm -hmm. And they both agreed that the body had been hit on the back of the neck. And I think they also both think the body was definitely dead for 12 hours, although it was possibly more. 
And this is, they talk about like rigor mortis and how it's kind of really difficult to pinpoint mm. when someone died, especially in this time period. That's super strange. How can you, it seems strange that you would just keep a body around for 12 hours. I also don't know if I trust Julian Frack completely. Well, the, the 12 hours from the 12 hours from when the body was discovered. So the mm. body was discovered around 8 a.m. that morning. So it just would have need to have been killed at 8 p.m. the night before. Ah, I guess so. So that is, so they, they also say, I don't know what it, this is based on, but the idea that the body could have lingered in paralysis, not death, for a few hours before they actually died. And so that's, that's the point where him and Dr. Grimbold kind of differ. Dr. Grimbold thinks that the body had lingered in paralysis for a few days before dying. Jeez. So there's some discrepancy there. But I think doc, Dr. Grimbold, like, Sir Julian is the specialist. And so he's kind of saying, I don't think so, but, like, what do I know? Mm. Is a little bit of an opinion, maybe? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So then after the inquest, Mr. Parker and the Duchess are kind of chatting when Sir Julian comes up to them and... Basically, they get to talking about how it's ridiculous that Sug thought that the body was Levy because Inspector Sug had originally thought that this body was Sir Levy and had actually called Lady Levy home, which makes sense. Like she was her husband's missing. She should be called home. But they made her try to identify the body and it wasn't even her husband. And so Inspector, I'm sorry. So Julian is kind of saying, that's ridiculous. Like I was a family friend. I I was there. If he had just asked me, I could have told him it wasn't Levy. But yeah. he, he's like, he's just, what's he doing, basically? Yeah. So Sir Julian invites Mr. Parker to walk home with him. And so they continue to talk about this. And Mr. Parker kind of apologizes for Inspector Sugg's behavior. And then when they arrive at his house, which is attached to the hospital, the, the St. Jude's Hospital, mm-hmm. Sir Julian kind of invites him into tea to keep talking and then he tells him, he's kind of like, I, I didn't want to say anything because it's not my, like, it's my professional duty not to. But I think it's important now to say that Sir Levy had called on me on, in the Monday night to, to talk about his health. And it was a very private matter because he's not doing very well. Like, I, I honestly, in my professional opinion, would say that he's dying. And he the reason he had come on kind of like... Uh, like hadn't said anything to anyone is he doesn't want his he didn't want his wife to know and that's why I don't want it to be made public is if his wishes were that his wife's not to know if he turns up soon I don't want that to like have come to light hmm. so the person that he met levy between 9 and 12 is that what they're saying yeah so there's he's kind of uh, he's kind of I guess corroborating that prostitute from earlier that had said she'd seen sir levy in the street around 9 p.m ah, okay. he's saying yeah he was, to, he was coming to see me interesting he, he i think he's asked like did he have an appointment he's like no he just kind of showed up yeah, um, but i like i had time we were free to talk hmm. so that's peter mr sorry not peter that's mr parker's account so then when lord peter gets back the next day from salisbury he had stayed overnight he gets home and Bunter reminds him that he was supposed to be going to lunch with Lady Swaffham. And Lord Peter is like, oh, make up some excuse. Sam's sick. Like, I don't want to go. I have no interest in going. And it isn't until Bunter goes, well, your mother is going to be there and Mr. Milligan, the mm. railway guy, that Lord Peter's like, oh my gosh, why didn't you tell me earlier? I haven't told my mom about the fake bazaar I've cre- created. I need to get there as fast as possible. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my like, god! Like lying, like making up this story. 
<laughs> I just think like it it would probably be a lot easier to pull off this lie these days because like I would just text my mom and be like FYI I lied yes. about a bazaar but like yeah you'd have to like send a telegram or something or like go actually see her so I he yeah. could have called there's there's phones yeah he I guess called her <laughs> come on Lord Peter definitely easier nowadays what kind of what would our okay so I would have to I would tell someone. Who would I tell? Maybe like a university professor. Who would I be talking to? And be like, oh, my mother is no God. I I would have to have a really famous mother. I can't think of it. I I was thinking almost like in high school, you told your teacher that like, oh, I need an extension because uh, I have this big family thing on the weekend, and then it's like parent teacher interviews, and then the teacher's like, oh, so how was the family thing? And they're like, what, what family thing? Yes, it's exactly okay. Perfect. Great yeah. example. So Lord Peter's immediately like, Hunter, I need to get there as fast as possible. <laughs> and so <laughs> sadly, he does arrive late. And while he's not been there, both his mother and Mr. Milligan have been chatting away. Yikes. He has, I know. Luckily, he has a mother who was kind of, beca- again, because it's like the, the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. She's basically gone to school to know how to have these kind of conversations where mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on. And so <laughs> she's trained. She's trained in this subject. She had also known that the vicar near her of the church had received a check for a thousand pounds from Mr. Milligan. So she's able to say like, the vicar was so pleased with that check you sent. And then, you know, there's a little bit more, he says some things and then she just goes, Oh, what the, what you businessmen do is just so interesting. Like she's kind of pumping him a little bit Mm -hmm. and saying nothing, but she, I think she kind of gets the idea that there's a bizarre happening. That she didn't know about because it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Good job, Peter's mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at lunch, they kind of naturally, there's a bunch more women there. They naturally started talking about the Battersea inquest that had happened that morning. And the Peter's mother is kind of, because she'd been at the inquest, she's comically talking about everything that had happened and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of shifts to this other murder that had happened not within the book, but that all these people knew about, which were called Three Brides in a Bath. And so they don't tell you what the story was, but you kind of get this idea that there was this man who had drowned his wife in a bathtub that made it look like that she had drowned herself, like he hadn't been there, but then had repeated it two more times with two future brides. Hmm. And then subsequently gotten caught. So they're kind of talking about the idea that if he'd only ever done it once, he would have gotten away with it. But the fact that he couldn't be creative is why he got caught. And then Lord Peter is talking about, because he he knows a little bit more about crime, because it's like his passion. He's talking about that if any of you ever wanted to get away with murder, you just need to make sure that no one starts to associate things. And then that's when people start to discover like that it was you. Like if I went, I went to go see a doctor in Salisbury today and tomorrow you read the paper and a doctor had died in Salisbury. And then if I told you a couple weeks later that I had gone to see a lawyer in Salisbury and the next day in the paper, a lawyer had died in Salisbury, you might start to associate those words with me and think that maybe I had something to do with it. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause I was like, one of my, my running theories right now is that Freck is in on it. And like, maybe at the start when he said no bodies were missing from the morgue, he might have not have been so honest and he could have done a little switcheroo with Levy and this this random body. But why would he admit that to Lord Peter if that's what he had done? Because uh, that just like, I don't know. That's the association. 
yeah, why would you admit to meeting this guy when you probably could have just not told him? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mention at the inquest they'd interviewed the, there was one guy who was in charge of the, not morgue, but like the bodies at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd, they'd, he had testified and he was the only one with the key to the room where the bodies were kept. And he also kind of said, yeah, no bodies were missing. So this, this man couldn't have been the same person. I just didn't say it before because he's such a minor character. I didn't want to get you confused with more okay. people. <laughs> cool. I don't think he comes up again, but, but he's, yeah, he's testified to it as well. So then talk from there kind of moves to Lady Levy being in such distress, especially because she'd had to, like, she tried to identify the body the day before. And so then a woman asks Mr. Milligan if he had known the family because he's, so I didn't mention this before, but Mr. Milligan's an American. Mm -hmm. Um, His brothers run a railway company in the States. And so he is kind of doing the, the British side of things right now. And so I guess everyone else in the room would have known the levies because they're from London, but he might not have been as familiar. So they're asking, oh, did you know him? And he says, yes, we had we had um, dined together before I'd been over for dinner. And he's kind of like joking about how they had been big rivals. And so he was saying if this was in America, he would be suspect number one for sure, because this is what they do in the States is they just get rid of their competition. Hmm. And then later in the day, Lord Peter tracks down Mr. Parker and he basically is telling him, I don't want Mr. Milligan to be the murderer because I've kind of grown attached to him. Like, I feel like he likes me and I, I feel like I like him. So I, <laughs> he's almost saying like, I want to stop this investigation because just on the off chance is Mr. Milligan. I don't want to have to do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, but Parker convinces him, uh, that's not the way things work. You have to keep going. Don't you just hate it when you're just friends with murderers? Ugh, it's such a pain. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then they also, while they're talking, they talk about that Mr. Crimplesham had, basically once he had gotten the bone, they call it bona fides. So once he had known that Lord Peter was really who he said he was, he was willing to like talk free, freely with him and given him full details on his movements from that Monday afternoon. And Lord Peter had kind of checked out all of his whereabouts and they were all, they were all clear. Like he had multiple people gave witness to seeing him at certain locations. He's kind of saying, I don't think unless he like had a partner, basically, that this could be him. And then Parker tells him all about the inquest, which we've already heard about. And then Lord Peter says he found the Peruvian oil shares. He had kind of like dug deeper into them and that he thought it was really weird, but Levy's Levy's name wasn't mentioned at all. Like Levy didn't come into those Peruvian oil stocks at all. So it was very weird that there had been this like boom before his death and then kind of petered out afterwards. Okay. We're kind of getting near, again, as I said, I know this took forever, like around an hour and 33 minutes. I've kind of been just talking a lot because I can, but we're, we're basically like halfway through the book, maybe a little bit longer. And at this point we're kind of getting near the solution, which is kind of crazy, but the solution just takes like half the book to get through. So do you want to tell me what you're thinking right now? Oh, man. Not even just who did it, but just like everything, what you're thinking about what could have happened. Okay, so I'm a little thrown by Crimplesham because there's a reason that the body's completely naked except for the glasses and the chain. And I don't really see the connection Mm -hmm. between like, why would you leave that there unless like, I don't know, unless the body is Crimplesham and someone's impersonating him. I don't know. That seems weird. I can't really explain why you would put random glasses on a dead body. 
Yeah. 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 Levy seems like somehow some imposter got into his apartment, right? I imagine it's on the way back from meeting with Dr. Julian. So maybe something did happen at Dr. Julian's, but then that goes back to why would Dr. Julian admit to that meeting? I'm not really, I I feel like Mr. uh, Milligan's not super suspect. Like I can obviously like see the motive for uh, trying to get rid of, of levy like they said it was like a property deal so maybe like they wanted to get rid of levy to like make sure the deal went through or something Mm -hmm. but i i don't know i I don't see the i don't see the connections yeah that's fair Hmm. yeah i mean if i was gonna (laughs) guess who would who would do it i think i would say my suspect number one is probably dr julian but yeah yeah i'm not sure not sure about the connection now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep just keep telling me if you if anything I say kind of makes you go, oh, maybe here's a here's a connection or mm-hmm. something. So Lord Peter just he had been going through the proving oil shares, had kind of found nothing to do with Levy's name, but he keeps going further, 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 and he finds they kind of says oddly enough, um, Freck's name, like Sir Julian, had seemed to be mentioned at the back of it all, and that he had actually sold a bunch of his his shares Tuesday morning and had made. Basically, they're saying he made very little money, and so the whole thing just seems weird and why he would do that in the first place. So, okay, that that's super suspicious, right? Because that makes me feel like the deal, like this Argentinian-Peruvian stuff, that's probably what the deal was about with Milligan, right? It had to do with some sort of Argentinian mm. railroad. So maybe, like, mm. during the meeting, like, he let it slip that that's what was happening, and then... Uh, Frecht like sold like, off. Oh, like when he visited. Yeah, he sold off whatever interest he had because he thought that something was going to go badly. So th- that makes it seem like oh. I'm. I, that makes it feel like Julian. If he didn't make any money off of it, right? That makes me feel like he didn't expect. He made like a couple hundred, but they're kind of saying they're saying he did make some money, but just the idea that it wasn't very much for. Yeah. So I, I, it makes me feel like he probably expected this deal to go through. So maybe you didn't kill him. Ah, I see. Okay. So I think Lord Peter leaves Mr. Parker's house and goes back to his apartment. And his, he's kind of saying his mind is like worrying. And he feels like the solution is kind of on the tip of his tongue, but he just needs to piece it together. And so then he he's kind of like going through and there's all this like, I don't know, like talking about like, you know, figuring out the puzzle and all that kind of stuff. And then he feels like it must, he feels like it clicks for him. So then he lists off all of the stuff to him that he thinks is important. So I'm going to read that to you as like the, the important points. So he says, a bump on the roof at the end house, Levy in a welter of cold rain, talking to a prostitute in the Battersea Park Road, a single ruddy hair, lint bandages, Inspector Sugg calling the great surgeon from the dissecting room of the hospital, Lady Levy with a nervous attack, the smell of carbolic soap, the Duchess voice saying, not really an engagement, only a sort of understanding with her father, shares improving oil, the dark skin and curved fleshy profile of the man in the bath, Dr. Grimbold giving evidence, in my opinion, death did not occur for several days after the blow, India rubber gloves. Hmm. I mean, the fact that He's saying that the body was 
paralyzed for a long time before being put there. Like who ha- who has access to bodies, right? Like the only person who has access to bodies is Freck, right? Mm-hmm. Carbolic soap. I mean, the only thing I can think of is like maybe this guy was in an accident somewhere and he was in the hospital and then he died and his body got taken away and put in the, the bathtub. But then, mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I, I, I still think my theory of like a, sw- like a swap where Levy's body might be in the morgue and some other body from the hospital is in the bathtub. Mm. And then maybe Milligan and his secretary like impostered Levy so that it would look like he went home and then ran away or something. But it seems like it's the like secretary- the secretary is the only person who like has red hair that we've met, so that seems like the person who's in his apartment. And then maybe the reason he has like the glasses is he if he's actually a working class person and this lawyer dropped it on the train, maybe he actually picked up those glasses and they just forgot to take the glasses off. Yeah, that's mm. all I got. So motive. Be- so this is Mr. Milligan. So motive is that this like this deal is kind of like this is how the Americans deal with these. Yeah, so I mean, the two motives that I can see are either it's Milligan wanting his way with the deal, or it's Freck trying to get with Levy's wife, right? I don't know, maybe they could be working together. Actually, that could be, I mean, maybe that's why he sold his stock, is that Milligan tipped him instead of a Levy, but... He knew something. Yeah, they could be in on it together. Okay. So as as Lord Peter's kind of sitting in his house having these all these like thoughts and figuring out he's basically piecing together what he thinks the solution is through all this something triggers him and he ends up waking up Bunter and is talking about like the Germans and all this gunfire and so at this point you kind of realize that he's going he's going through like PTSD like something's mm-hmm. triggered him to to be having these feelings and so Bunter seemingly this has happened like a, quite a few times before Bunter's kind of saying he hasn't had an attack in a while, but is able to calm him down, get him to bed, and then calls his mother. So the next morning, the Dowager Duchess is there to take Peter back to the estate with her to kind of get like some rest, some fresh air, and have someone to take care of him. Before they leave, Mr. Parker arrives, and he kind of gets instructions from Lord Peter, because Lord Peter's basically saying, I know who did this. And then he's also saying, Sir Levy is dead. Like, we, we're going under that assumption now. He's not just mm-hmm. missing. And so he gives Mr. Parker a description of the man pre-makeover. So the, the, the body in the bathtub, we kind of were going with that someone had given him, like, manicured his fingers mm-hmm. and did all of that, like, clipped his hair, shaved his beard, whatever. Yeah. So he gives a description of what that man would have looked like and then tells Mr. Parker to get that description to all of the warehouses, infirmaries, police stations, YMCAs, etc. Like, all those kinds of things in town. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets back information to people like that can give that say that they they recognize that description, check if any of them have a connection to St. Luke's Hospital. Okay, this is this is fitting a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he also says, "I need you to make an acquaintanceship with one of the students at St. Luke's Hospital that would have been like one of the dissecting students." Okay, so he gives so that's like Parker's instruction. And then he's also given instructions to Bunter to do something as well, but we're we're not told what that is. That happened like outside of the the frame of the story. And then he goes off to the estate. So does any of that like make you think in a certain way? I mean, it it still seems like a fit. Like I don't know. I'm not really sure what the purpose of the medical student is. Mm-hmm. 
maybe they need an accomplice to get the body into the the building, but that seems like something you wouldn't trust a medical student with, unless something fishy happened during the the autopsy that they don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Seems seems like Freck is looking real suspicious. <laughs> so Lord Peter doesn't specify like a he doesn't specify a medical student. He's kind of just like any of them will do. Just don't make them suspicious. That mm-hmm. basically is like gain their acquaintance without being direct. Like do it in a friendly way. Maybe he's he's uh, trying to find information about like does anyone know about a body that looks slightly different than they remember? This is my theory: is that mm-hmm. this guy from the warehouse died, and they swapped his body with with Levy's before he got into the morgue because the morgue is locked, right? So it has to be mm-hmm. around the time that mm-hmm. the guy dies. Yeah. Okay. So while Lord Peter is away at the estate, he gets a telegram from Bunter. And it's Bunter has been able to interview Sir Julian's manservant. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of his instructions. And so the guy's name is Mr. Cummings. And he kind of shares that his master didn't often have guests over. And he naturally went to bed like fairly early around 1030. But there were nights that he'd stay up uh, working in the hospital or like working on projects. And it was easy because the hospital is actually connected through a door on the ground floor to, to their like apartment, to their house. Oh, that's very convenient. (laughs) So he sometimes would stay up very late. And on the Monday night in particular, because he's kind of like looking back on when the last time it happens, Bunter has loosened this Mr. Cummings, the servant up, by giving him a lot of Lord Peter's like fancy alcohol while they're (laughs) out of the house. (laughs) And so he's, he's talking pretty freely. And so he says on the Monday night, he had had a visitor that he hadn't answered the door himself that Sir Julian had got taken the visitor in, but he had heard him leave it because he had shouted goodbye as he like closed the door, the visitor. Oh, come on. That's, that seems super fishy. Like <laughs> really? It's, I, I just feel like, I don't know. Ah, uh, yes. You've murdered someone in your house and you don't want your butler to know. What are you going to do? Go downstairs, yell <laughs> goodbye and close the door. I don't know. Uh, I see where you're coming from. I, I'm totally wrong at this point, I bet. I'm just making making up things <laughs> to fit my story, but oh well. That's the way it goes. So the he also said the master, his master, Sir Julian, had run a bath at 3 a.m. on Monday. And so he said it's super annoying because the cistern in the house was right beside the servant's room on the top floor, and it was really squeaky and loud when it ran. And so the fact that he had run this bath in the middle of the night he didn't. He he might have baths pretty late in the night, but this was definitely the latest. It was just so random. Yeah, so random. <laughs> so that was that was Bunter's tell our letter, and then later that day, a telegram arrives from Parker. Mm-hmm. So Parker's telegram says, "Description recognized Chelsea Workhouse, unknown vagrant, injured street accident Wednesday week, died Workhouse Monday." Delivered St. Luke's same evening by order Freck. Much puzzled, Parker. Hmm. Interesting. So he has his body. So wait, when did when did the body arrive? It was the Wednesday. Is that the same? The Wednesday earlier, like the Wednesday before the Monday where the dead body had been found. Huh. Or the Tuesday. But they also said he was paralyzed for a while. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So he was delivered the Monday that the body was found. Yeah. So he the, the this vagrant died on Monday and was delivered to the hospital the same evening like on monday evening later in the day i guess okay. it is weird because like telegrams you were 
trying to like save money economize by not putting a lot of words in that's just like weird wording right i I'm just i think i've lost track of the dates that important things have happened so it's just kind of getting a little fuzzy <laughs> so the body in the bathtub was discovered tuesday morning by mr thips okay so to, like, so monday monday evening would fit if the body was delivered and freck intervened took the body and swapped it yeah yeah pretty much okay so we're getting to the end though so Lord Peter, once getting this telegram from Mr. Parker, returns home immediately. And Mr. Parker has also kind of like found a med- one of the medical students as Lord Peter had wanted him to. Mm-hmm. So the guy's name is Thomas Piggott. Piggo? Sure. Piggott. We're calling him Piggott. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> we'll call him Thomas. That's okay. easier. That's, that's easier. <laughs> and so they basically, par- Mr. Parker's kind of like invited him over to Lord Peter's house. And so all three of them are talking, chatting drinking drinks (laughs) and they're talking about books and detective stories and thomas says something along the lines of that it makes no sense how much people remember when you're reading detective stories like he's kind of going i could never remember anything like i don't even remember what i ate for lunch yesterday like it's ridiculous that these people months later can remember things and lord peter kind of tells him well actually like it's it's pretty easy like it's just by association with things like i can show you i can make you remember a lot of things how it works is like they would dissect, the medical students would dissect bodies and they do mm-hmm. do drawings every day. And so he tells them, what did you draw today? And so he pictures what he drew. And then from that, he kind of like goes back through his sketchbook and pictures from all the previous days. And so Lord Peter kind of brings them back to the Tuesday before. It's a, It's been a week now since the body was discovered on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so he brings them back to that Tuesday. And the, the Thomas goes, yeah, I was dissecting an arm that day. And so then he, he they're through a bunch of questions. He's like, yeah, I think it was a middle-aged, middle-aged man. Yeah, yeah, around 50 sounds right. Um, no, he wasn't muscular because I, I remember because I wish he had be. There was actually a lot, pretty fatty arm, which was disappointing. Uh, and no, his fingers weren't calloused. I, I, when I was dissecting his hand, no, they were, they were pretty soft fingers. And he remembers one of his friends in the workroom who had been dissecting the torso had joked about how well fed the man had been and how there was food still in his stomach, like as if he had just eaten. He was plump, I guess is what they would have called him. And that Sir Julian had been in charge of the head. He had been dissecting the head himself. Huh, that's a shame, because if you wanted to identify someone, you definitely need to see the head. Ugh, what a shame. Isn't it a shame? Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of basically they're saying like see you can remember whatever you want to remember if you want like if you really try and they talk about that whatever and then thomas leaves and then mr parker goes to leave himself to go home and lord peter offers he kind of suggests maybe you should stay the night here and mr parker's like why you think i'm gonna be knocked off and lord peter's like oh well i noticed some people outside i'm just just cautious but mr parker tries to go anyways he tries to get into taxi and when he's sitting there kind of giving directions to the guy None other than Sir Julian runs up and says, oh, can we share a taxi? And Parker says, oh, no, no, you take it yourself. I'm not going very far. Gets out of the taxi, goes back to Lord <laughs> Peter's house and goes, you know what? I'll see you tonight. <laughs> so what are your what are your thoughts now? I mean, I... On, I st- on everything. Motive, who did it? So I still think this seems, unless there's like some shocking twist at the end, it seems like Freck killed him got a body of the street vagrant that's who's in the bathtub mm-hmm. levy is being dissected and is in the morgue motive i mean motive is 
tricky. It's either that he still has a flame with Levy's wife, or there's some sort of like shady business deal going on with the like the Peruvian stocks. Mm. But I mean, it seems like they're working together, right? Because the secretary is probably the person who impersonated Levy. So I guess the motive would probably be the business deal. Plus, maybe Freck doesn't like Levy, you know, just so he does it a, a little bit and enjoys it a little bit. So um, mm-hmm. that's my theory. Do you think it was just coincidence that Le- Sir Levy had been going to his house that oh. day to, like, find out about it? Hmm. I mean, the only thing I can think of is maybe if he had to travel to go work on this, like, Peruvian deal or something, he might want to see his doctor beforehand as, like, I'm leaving the country, check me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why he would go over, actually. That's a good point. Unless Freck sent for him, but I suppose, like, Freck could be dishonest about why Levy was visiting him. That actually would probably make mm-hmm. more sense, right? That Levy would lie about why, in case, like, someone had witnessed him going to his house, he would have, like, a reason that uh, Levy was there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's there. Maybe it's an appointment, actually. But Okay. So... The next day, Lord Peter gets up and he goes to... So, Sir Julian also has a practice in Harley Street where he works as, like, a um, quote-unquote nerve specialist. As I was saying before, like, how there's these, like, the idea of nerves kind of... I think I think the idea is that it encompasses all mental illness. So, he has a kind of practice in Harley Street where he does kind of, like, prescribes people things or helps people out. And so, Lord Peter is kind of going there under the guise that he's getting help with his PTSD. Hmm. But so basically he goes into the room and Sir Julian, they talk about his PTSD and what's been going on and how the last time that this occurred to him was the last mystery he was solving. And right as as he was solving it, he had had a real, he had had an episode of PTSD. And so now he'd had it again. And Sir Julian says, okay, well, I can prescribe you something and I can give you something right now. And he goes to prepare the injection. And as he's going to put it in, Lord Peter's arm, Lord Peter stops him and goes, you know, last time I got the injection, it didn't really sit well with me. So I don't think I'll do it this time. And then uh, he leaves. Hmm. And so from there, we move to they are going to exhume the body that's been buried at the Chelsea workhouse. Like the, the they were done with it at the hospital. It's been buried. Yep. And Lady Levy is present in to identify this body. Mm-hmm. So they don't show her the head because it's been all cut up and dissected, but mm-hmm. they're a- she's able to identify the body as her husband through some moles and some scars on certain parts of the body. And she does identify it as Sir Levy. So I'll say I think your story is sounding pretty correct. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you want to add to it to tie off any loose ends? <laughs> um, I think maybe the fact that he runs a nerves clinic makes me feel like maybe this... Uh... This trip to the country for Lady Levy is maybe not actually nerves, and perhaps they have an arrangement of some sort. Although, she, I don't know, she identified, mm-hmm. I don't know why she would, uh, you know, identify her husband if they were having an affair or something. So maybe, maybe not. But I think, I think I like my story. Okay, sounds good. Well, do you want to hear the solution? <laughs> sure. Basically, you're bang on for most things, but I'll go through all of the points because. Just, I don't know if there's anything else going on. I think this story had slightly less red herrings than maybe some of the Agatha Christie's. Maybe it's just because there's less characters. Like, there's less people. Yeah, I, I, there wasn't really... A, I feel like most of the characters that they were introduced were 
directly involved in the murder, pretty much. Yeah. Except for Thips and what's her name, the ma- the servant. Oh, it's the maid, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also the, the lawyer guy. Mm-hmm. So there weren't really that many people to choose from. No. Yeah, it's an, I, I wonder, it, I kind of finished reading it and I was like, oh man half the book was the solution <laughs> like we i i cut out a lot of plot points like they were basically saying it's sir julian from pretty early on mm-hmm. but i just cut it out to make it more fun <laughs> see I, I thought like all um, of this uh like leading on about oh it definitely looks like it's sir julian i'm like oh maybe it's not sir julian because like this seems like yeah, it's not really a, tw- a twist right because like <laughs> you seem to be really you know telegraphing what's going to happen here but <laughs> I know it was a little too bad, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if it offer other books are similar to this, where it's the same style, or if there'll be more more mystery to them. We'll mm-hmm. see. This was her first book, so maybe she's still getting into things. But so I'll just I'll go through the story quickly of what had happened. So sure. what what ends up, ha- up what ends up happening in the last chapter is they catch Sir Julian as he's been writing a almost like a suicide letter like he's gonna kill himself or run away or something and so he's been writing a letter to lord peter basically being like you caught me out you did a good job here's exactly what happened basically Mm -hmm. so he admits that he'd always been upset about sir levy marrying the girl that like basically he's kind of saying like who i've been promised and he'd never married since then and so i think this like idea of getting revenge had been building in him for a while And he realized from all of his like research on criminology and seeing a lot of bodies and things like that was that the problem was always disposing of the body. That's how most people got caught. Mm -hmm. And so he came up with this plan to find a body that looked, had like a surface resemblance to Sir Levy and get it delivered to his, his morgue, his hospital, and then be able to switch the bodies, just as you were saying. So then he needed a way to get, once he found the body, it was this, this this workhouse guy that was paralyzed and hadn't died yet and so he was able to kind of plan more because he knew he knew that bot he knew the, the man would die soon but hadn't died yet and so it allowed him to start prepping for the sir sir levy point of view and so he had bought all those shares in that peruvian oil stock he i think he had just picked picked something that wasn't doing well and the fact that he bought so many stocks made it look like it was doing well so then he had approached sir levy in the street one day he had quote unquote, bumped into him on purpose and told him how great the Peruvian oil was doing and that he actually had some documentation that showed why and then invited Sir Levy to come over and see it hmm. before he like bought his own stocks. And so that's how he got him to come over that Monday night as they were having this appointment. He says it was very unfortunate that that prostitute had seen him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had he wouldn't have needed to say anything about Sir Levy because his servant had never seen who the person was. So then he had he had killed him. He had hit him on the back of the head in a similar way that the other man had died. And then I think he had hidden the body until his, his servants had gone to bed. And then he had started doing his preparations of preparing the workhouse dead man to, I think, just look different, basically. Like, he, he did all of those things to make it look like it was someone who was, who was not just, like, fake the, fake the whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at around three in the morning, he needed to get up to the roof, but his servants lived on the, like, or slept on the top floor. And so he said in normal circumstances, he could do it quietly enough. But the fact that he had to carry a body with him, he knew he'd make some noise. So he had run the bath to make the cistern make noise that he could get up to the roof to get the the body up to the And he hadn't planned on putting it in Mr. Thipp's bathtub. It was 
just a kind of a fluke. He was going to just like, I think, leave it in a stairwell or in the chimney on another house. But when he saw that the window was open, he realized that he could, that would be even better for it to be in someone's apartment. And so those like fibers on the roof were from, he had wrapped the body in a sheet and some um, surgical bandages in order to like carry it and move it around. That makes sense. Yeah. And so then he had deposited the body, gone back home, turned the bath off that's now been running for 45 minutes, and then go to bed and wake up the next morning to go and prepare the body of Sir Levy and be able to like have the head for himself and cut up the rest of it. Hmm. So how does that fit in with the uh, the person who was at Levy's apartment? Oh, right. Sorry. I, I So that was... Okay, so he kills Levy. He hides the body, I think, in his bed or under his bed or something like that. And then before he puts the body in the bathtub, because I said that was at 3 a.m., he takes a taxi to Levy's house. And then he waits around until all of the servants are almost all of the servants have gone to bed. Then he goes into the house, makes sure he's seen, but not closely, goes up to the room and then goes about preparing to go to bed. He said there was a mistake that he didn't fold up the clothes because he didn't know that that's what Levy would do. He was kind of just guessing on what Levy's mannerisms would be but he'd brush his teeth he knew he couldn't use the hairbrush because he had red hair i don't remember i don't think that gets mentioned in the book until the second half so it's i didn't want to give it away too much Ah, okay but so he he's the dude with red hair he just gets in the bed lies there for about an hour and then comes out takes the taxi home and then goes about disposing of the body Ah, okay so So he's a long night milligan isn't in on it at all ah well no that's a shame So close to getting it actually right. And do they do they say how uh, <laughs> why he has glasses on or or no? They do, uh, and I think you kind of got it a little bit in that he says he was just in the train station that day, and it had just been really packed, and there had just been this whole like hubbub going on. And when he had left, he found that there was um, glasses kind of like attached to his suit that had been like clearly like caught off someone else's, mm-hmm. and he just thought it would be funny on the body like it had no purpose i just yeah i find it strange that if you were to try to make this body look like levy why would you i guess he didn't want he wasn't trying to make i don't know i just feel like why would you try to make the body in the bathtub look like levy i bet you could probably just get away with it by just having it be a random body you know like if you just dumped this body like yeah in a river or something and not made it look like levy they definitely wouldn't have caught him this guy he plotted too much i agree i think so his like reasoning was he tried to make he wanted to change the appearance of the body okay so first he needed the body to look like levy because he was switching it out in the one at the as the one with the hospital Mm. and so if anyone saw the body it needed to have a surface resemblance that they needed to look similar but then he wanted to make the body in the bathtub look more aristocratic or like look more um not not working class so then when they published the description of the person no one would come forward ah got it got it got it so you're right it was he kind of admits that in his suicide quote-unquote letter whatever it was saying that it was a shame that and that's how we talked about it like making associations he said it was a real shame that the association was made with sir levy right off the bat because if it hadn't been those two things never would have been connected yeah that's fair huh pretty crazy i think he did honestly a pretty good job like this guy had almost a great plan like if not for that that prostitute he might have gotten away with it 
That's exactly what he says. Was he says that if there were a couple of things like the 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 accident of the prostitute really kind of messed things up, and the kind of accident that it had been associated with Sir Levy right away. Yeah. There you go. Perfect crime. Mm. You can steal it for yourself if you need it. <laughs> Hopefully, the de- detectives don't listen to your podcast. <laughs> True. Okay. I would never do anything like this. Yeah, of course not. Of course not. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Just gotta start applying to med school now. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I think this is great. This is a lot of fun. Glad. Yeah. Um. Well, then I guess without further ado, thank you to everyone listening. I hope you all did just as good as Matt at solving solving this murder. If you would like to hear more, I have this is episode fourteen, so I have thirteen more episodes you can listen to anywhere you listen to podcasts at Tuesday Night Mystery Club. You could follow me on Instagram if you want to see pictures of the books or anything else related to the podcast at Tuesday Night Mystery Club on Instagram. And if you have comments, questions, concerns, anything you want to say, you can email me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club at gmail.com. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you, everyone.